Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So I want to welcome all of you uh, back again this week. I have a special treat for you. And um, in the past, I've had a number of people call or either write and talk about parenting and talk about uh, what happens in schools. And so today I have someone that I've invited who is actually a science journalist and an author. Um, she's going to talk to us about her first book of, I'm sure it's going to be many, because this is a great, great book. And you, those of you who are parents and thinking about being parents or even aunties and uncles, I'm just going to, I'm going to recommend this book because it's, uh, it's really, uh, just down to earth. And, and so, um, this, this book has actually won a gold medal, uh, in the 2022 Living Now Book Awards. And so uh, today's uh, guest is also a regular contributor. You're going to be able to find her uh, in in a number of scientific magazines and and um, places where you would be you would you can get advice. So without further ado, I want to in- introduce you to Melinda Moyer. Welcome, Melinda. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm excited well, to chat. Yes, glad to have you. And so tell so before we get into the book, I want to know a little bit about you because um, you know, I know that you've been writing about science. Tell me a little bit how you got into to the science writing, where your interest, but a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's kind of a I got to science writing in a sort of roundabout way. I had no idea that that was what I was going to do until I was in my twenties. Um, but I, uh, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a pianist and a composer. And so I actually went to college, um, for piano performance and composition and then kind of quickly realized that it was not going to be the career I was hoping it was going to be. Um, and I randomly took a biology class, I think my junior year of college and I fell in love with it and I decided, okay, now I'm going to be a biology major. (laughs) So, so I, I was at school for a while (laughs) and then I got a biology degree and I thought, well, maybe I'll be a biologist. And I started working in a lab. Um, I was at the university of Michigan and I was working in a lab in the medical school thinking Mm -hmm. I'll get a PhD and, you know, in (laughs) biology, cell molecular biology. And then I didn't like that very much. And, um, and I'd always loved writing, but I never had thought of it as like a viable career. And I wondered, you know, what could I do to sort of bring science and writing together? And um, it, after reading New Scientist magazine um, every day on my way to work when I was in my 20s, um, I it just like dawned on me like, oh, there are people who write about science as their job and write for magazines and get to cover really cool things and I realized that was a possibility and I looked into how to do that. And I ended up going to NYU for a master's specifically in science journalism. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Gosh, that was almost 20 years ago when I got my master's. That's what an interesting journey. I, I would have never guessed that it was the music, but I'm hearing a lot more of that lately, but that, you know, music performance, and then you jumped over to science. Um, I have a science background and I love music and I, you know, played instrument and all the way through college. And it was actually, I was a chemistry major in college, but it was, um, 
it was the chemistry that made me have to give up the music because I couldn't do both. <laughs> it was yep. absolutely too much, but um, that's, that's great. And so um, you, so you have a uh, background doing the science writing. So you started doing some research as I gather. Um, tell me what, what uh, was the catalyst for your, the research you started doing on your own uh, that led to the book? Yeah. So I have two kids um, now, 12 and eight. And so this was, you know, five years ago or so. And I was, I was getting frustrated by what I saw as a lot of bad behavior in the world um, and people in positions of power who were, you know, not acting like really good role models in terms of how they were treating others and talking about others, you know, in the public discourse. And I remember thinking, gosh, my kids are getting old enough to, you know, hear about some of this. And, you know, when we have the radio on in the car, like they're going to be hearing some of this rhetoric that I felt like was not very kind, was not very compassionate. And I wondered like, what are they going to learn from this? You know, are they going to learn that it's okay to not be nice, to make fun of people, to, you know, to, to talk badly about people? Um, and I wondered what, you know, what I could do as a parent to push against that and, you know, what I should be doing to basically raise good human beings. And it just felt like something that was really important in that moment. Like, I really want to help contribute to society through raising good kids who will, you know, build a good world in the future. And I started digging into the science, like, is there science on this? You know, I didn't know. And I found there was tons of science on, you know, developmental psychology on, how kids develop different types of, you know, traits and values and what parents can do to help shape them. And some of it was really counterintuitive. And that was the moment when I thought, okay, I want to write a parenting book that's really digging deep into the science of how we can raise just good, good people. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, we, we hear a lot about how to raise children to be successful around academics. So uh, develop their brain around this. Uh, not a lot of people talk about how to, how to raise them and develop their hearts. And I'm, I'm, and of course, metaphorically their hearts that we're, we're how to, how to raise children that have empathy, that have compassion, um, I, I worked with a group of people in Brazil some years ago, and I was so struck by uh, their their deliberation. It was in a school, and they were trying to come up with a mission statement. And there were these two words in Portuguese that uh, one basically uh, compassion, which means compassion, empathy. And then comprometumendu, which means compassion driven to uh, action. And they were debating in their mission statement, what version did they want children to be compassionate and empathetic or so much so that it led them to action. So it ended up being that they chose the word comprometumendu. They chose that word and, and, that's the part that I that really stuck with me was that it's it's not enough to raise children starting out, just not enough to say I recognize that in the world, and oh well I can see it, but oh well, 
And so um, what was some of your advice around the, the, the compassion and empathy component? So it was really interesting when I started digging into the science of how do we, you know, how do we foster compassion and, and, and empathy? Um, because it ultimately so much of the research points to how we socialize our children around emotions and feelings and how we like how we talk to them about feelings, how we um, frame you know, good and bad feelings for our kids and um, how, you know, whether we allow our kids to have big feelings and that, um, and I could talk a bit about, you know, what are some of the best practices from the research there, but what's so interesting is that, you know, research is really starting to suggest that both how we think about our own feelings and how we react to them, it's, it's first of all, really important for our mental health and our well-being. Um, and it's also really important for how we, recognize um, needs in other people. And so, you know, if you think about a child who is seeing a friend across the playground, who's upset, you know, in order to really decide how to help that friend, like, should I go and, you know, offer them a hug? Should I, should I, you know, go and protect them? You really have to understand what that child is feeling, right? Like you have to be able to read their emotions and their body language and say, is, is my friend, angry? Is my friend frustrated? Is my friend embarrassed? Is my friend scared? You know, and really be able to read the feelings that that friend has in order to respond in an appropriate way. And in order to, you know, understand like what you can do to help that person. So we know that having a really deep understanding of feelings, what they look like, what they feel like, um, helps us to be kind and compassionate with yes. other people. Yes. And so, so, and how do you do that? What What's something you like a uh, something tangible with the child. What what's something you you recommend to them? Yeah. So a couple of things. One is you know we as parents I think um, often don't like it when our kids are upset and we want everything to be okay. So sometimes we sort of dismiss their negative feelings and you know in in a well meaning way we say oh you're okay you're fine don't cry you know it's not a big deal and we do that cuz we we want them to be happy and we don't like seeing them in this you know unhappy state but when we do that what we're essentially saying to our kids is that you know the the feelings that you have right now aren't really valid you should try to repress them, suppress them, you know, hide them, like get rid of them. And we're essentially telling them that those feelings aren't okay, that we don't really want them to have them. We don't really accept them. Um, and that, even though I know we, you know, we do it from a place of love and I do it, I've really had to work on this myself. Ultimately over time, that's really not sending a, a super healthy message. What we want to be doing instead is, you know, um, validating their feelings, letting them have them say, oh my gosh, you seem, you know, it sounds like you're really upset right now. And, and, and letting them have those feelings. I mean, we could still set boundaries on how they express their feelings. You know, we could say, well, it's not okay to throw your book across the room. It's not okay to hit your sister when you're angry, but to still allow them to have the, the feeling itself and to validate that feeling. So that's, that's a big one. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, your point is well taken. And again, having, um, multiple children. I always say, uh, and I, I heard a comedian some one time say this: people with one kid, you don't have children. You have one kid, <laughs> you know. But once you have, when you have children, you know that are in the same space, and the conflict happens. Okay, then you have children. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, I, I, I think about 
when I see out in, so maybe a restaurant, and I think about the balance of what you describe as emotions and children expressing emotions, but also children expressing the desire to to do things that are not in keeping with the norms. And, and so I'll give you an example of uh, at the restaurant, standing in the chairs or taking things and throwing them across the table as well. I've seen I've seen a range. I've seen parents you know, quietly correct the child. I've seen parents completely ignore that uh, behavior. And even sometimes to the point where it's like, oh, my goodness, it's dangerous. Not so much that it's disruptive, but it's that child's going to fall over that. I mean, and really get hurt. And those those kind of things. So what what's the balance in in figuring out how much you let them do? Because some of the behavior where I'm going with this is, is that I think on one hand, allowing children to explore their environments. It develops a sense of I can, I, I, I know what this is and I can do and I can try that they all, it also allows them to know that they should take risks at times. And so those are good things that they know those, but on the other hand, not applied well, those can also be the same traits that are I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter about anyone else. So that's the struggle. Did you did you have that same struggle as you were trying to figure out how do we how do we balance things? Yes, definitely. It's really hard. It's it's very nuanced, I think. Um you know, in a situation like the one you said, because it's it's hard to generalize too, because it really kind of depends on your child, how old they are, what are they capable of, what do they what do they know and not know? So I think sometimes one issue is we we put our kids into situations and we have specific expectations for their behavior and we assume that they kind of know what they should and shouldn't do in that situation, but we actually haven't ever educated them about what we expect and what the situation calls for. So this happens, I feel like in my house all the time where my inclin, you know, my child will do something like eat a chocolate bar in bed and get chocolate everywhere. And when I discover it, my inclination is to get angry and say, what were you thinking? You're not allowed to have chocolate in your bed. But then I think, have I ever actually had a conversation about what my child can bring into bed or not? And is it fair for me to get angry if I haven't made that expectation clear already? And so I think sometimes like at a nice restaurant um, and our kids are, are acting out, part of it could be they really just don't understand what's expected of them and what what they're supposed to, quote unquote, supposed to be doing, what we hope that they will do in that situation. And we haven't set up those expectations in advance. So one thing I have learned over the years about taking my kids to restaurants, especially nice ones, is if if there's something where I really want them to behave a certain way and I have certain expectations, then I will talk to them days in advance about, you know, okay, Friday night, we have this really nice dinner we need to go to with your aunt and uncle. And, you know, it's going to be a little different from dinner at home and let's talk about it. And let's talk about what we can do so that you, your needs are met and you're okay. Like, so that you're not bored out of your mind, but also that, you know, you're kind of doing what, what we need you to be doing in that particular situation. So I think a lot of 
talking to kids about about what we expect um, yeah. and, and then judging, can they handle this too? Yeah. And maybe not taking them if we think they're too young and they just can't, you know, regulate their emotions and, right. and impulse control, right. all and that. Especially for long periods of time, right? Uh, that yeah. maybe 30 minutes is fine. <laughs> Again, depending on the age and, and what your child's personality, um, those are those are things that may need to be taken into consideration. I do want to go back quickly to just this idea of uh, you. I know you talked about bullying, but also norms associated with communication. And I think that's the part we have to understand is that they they emulate what they've seen over the years, how you handle conflict, how when you're angry, uh, what happens and and where I've seen parents, some parents say, I'm really not happy with you right now. Your behavior is not what I expected. Remember, we talked about it or what have you. Uh, I go, I, I think about, and I think some of what you, what gave you the, the real uh, fire to go and do this research, I thought the same thing when we were watching years ago, some of the presidential debates, and there was this behavior being displayed, and we came back to the office, and people were saying, why did he let him talk over him like that? And I said, you got to understand something, though, that a lot of it has to do with the way you're raised. If you're raised in a way that you're allowed to do that, it's not unfamiliar to you or no one corrects you. I would be willing to bet you, as I said to my friends, that the other person was so uncharacteristically, you say, undone. Like they were just like, I don't know how to respond to this because it's rude behavior. And I think it really caught a lot of people off guard to do that. You know, that it was, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to lie. I'm going to say things that just are nasty. And, and it really caught people off guard. Now, what do we do, though, that that seems to be the rule of the day sometimes? Is that everywhere you turn on television, I remember seeing so many television shows with precocious kids and they, you know, the, the smart mouth and talking to parents and doing what they didn't want, what the parents told them not to do. And, and I just would get a headache like, oh, I can't, they can't see that. Um, but it requires a conversation. But I guess going back to it is that the, your, your, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the, the idea of us modeling behavior for them. Yes, it's really important. We know that kids really learn from watching us and watching how we engage with other people, watching, you know, how do we manage relationships and, and conflict? This is how they learn what's acceptable. Um, and, you know, and, and we do also know, just to your point, that kids look to people in positions of power as well to look at what's acceptable behavior. So that's, that's, again, that was sort of the impetus of, of the book was, you know, what are they learning from people in positions of power who are maybe not behaving very respectfully to others, but yes, what we do at home 
really matters. Uh, and also the conversations we have with our kids really, really, really make a difference. Um, and so, you know, I think what we, you know, what I talk about, one of the things I talk about in my book is really being explicit about expectations and values, like family values. Um, I remember interviewing someone um, who said, you know, a really good idea is to sit down, have family meetings regularly, first of all, where you can talk about issues that are coming up. Mm -hmm. um, but to come up with like a family sort of, you know, a like a contract of how we're going to treat each other and, you know, what, what's important to us. And so that might mean you're saying, you know, it's really important that we're all honest with each other. And that's, you know, maybe one of the values that you really care about, or maybe it's not, maybe it's, you know, it's really important. We don't interrupt each other <laughs> and, and we, you know, really listen and, and practice active listening with each other. And I, you know, both the more that we do that as parents, we um, display the kinds of values that we want our kids to have. And the more that we emphasize those values to our kids, the more that they will learn that, oh, this is something that's really important. This is something that's really important to my parents. This is something that's really important in life. Um, so, you know, another thing, like, it's very simple, but at dinner, sometimes I'll just say, let's go around the room and talk about one, you know, what's one kind thing you did today. And just in asking that question, I am communicating to my kids that kindness is important to me and that I want them to be thinking about being kind and helpful. So yeah. just little things like that, um, that's, you know, in addition to modeling it yourself, but also just sort of emphasizing it in daily life that this is important, our kids will really learn from that. Yeah, powerful. So if there's one big takeaway from the book, that you would communicate what what was it that you were going for like if you don't get anything else folks when you read this this is what i want you to know i would say talk about things and and by things i really mean anything talk about life talk about your experiences talk about feelings more than you think you should hmm. um and, and lean into conversations that maybe are difficult. You know, the things that you kind of don't want to talk to your kids about, those are often the most important things to talk yeah. to your kids about. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times we sort of assume that like we don't have to have conversations our kids will understand on, you know, just sort of infer what's, you know, what 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 we think is important, what what's expected. Um, and we think we don't have to talk about them, but just I try to find opportunities in daily life for conversations about all sorts of things, um, whether it's bullying and whether it's race and, and, you know, whether it's things about sexism, whether it's even just like normalizing my own struggles sometimes with my kids, I'll talk about like, gosh, I had a hard day, you know, because somebody got mad at me and, and, and that's hard to experience. And let me talk about what I did and how I kind of handled it. Like all these kinds of things can be really, really helpful for kids, because if they're not getting this information about sort of how to be and behave in the world from you, then they're going to be getting it from peers, from the media, from, from yeah. things they hear on the radio. And those might not, you know, those sources of information may not share your values. So the more that you can communicate your values, your priorities through the conversations you have, the better. Yeah, you know, as you were talking about that, I I I had a story that came to mind with my uh, my oldest daughter, um, and and it was it was that um, she went to a summer camp, and it was not her uh, her home school. It's like it was about 
I'm going to say she was about six or seven, maybe eight, but it was not where she went to school. It was another neighborhood where uh, they were having this summer camp. And so she came home to share that she had um, an ice cream sandwich um, that day for lunch that they gave them for dessert. And so she had her um, her tray and she wanted to put her tray away and come back and eat her sandwich. So she left the sandwich on the table where she was and she went to put her tray away and came back and the sandwich was gone. And so she's she was genuinely confused. And I say, I, so I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. I said, yeah, you can't do that. But with my adult brain, you know, I'm thinking, of course, someone took it. And she said, so I think my response was, yeah, I'm not surprised they took it. And she, her response was, but why? It wasn't theirs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just the innocence associated with it. And you want them to stay that way forever, right? That's not the real world. And I realized in that moment, too, exactly what you said. We did, never had a conversation about protect your things. Mm -hmm. um, if you value it, don't just put it down. Someone might take it. But she was confused. I mean, even at seven or eight. But I, it wasn't theirs. Why would they take it? And so I, I, so your your comment that we have to have those conversations, even when they are about things that you don't want them to be exposed to, or that you don't want them to have to uh, accept as a part of the world we live in. So thank you. That's that's very very helpful, and I'm sure people um, would would agree. So um, I, you we're already out of time. I I want to want to find out. I mean, you did such a great job. I I would have thought that you were someone that had uh, spent time uh, working with with um, groups of children and studying, uh, you know, kind of like through a microscope almost the behaviors of kids. And so this is so well researched and and and. Uh, and advised. Um, so thank you for this. And so I, um, uh, please let us know how, and I'm sure there's people out there that want to know how to reach you, where to find your, um, if you have a podcast or even a, uh, uh, a blog, um, please share where, where people can find your work. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for the really kind words about the book. Um, I am continuing to dig into different questions and issues related to parenting on my newsletter. So I have um, a newsletter on Substack, which is like a news big newsletter platform. Um, so you can find it by going to Melinda W. Moyer dot Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. And um, you can sign up there. It's it's free. There, if you want more of my newsletters, there is a paid component you can sign up for. But but every week um, there's a free newsletter that goes out, and and I'm kind of constantly digging into different questions and different issues with research. So it's a lot like my book. So um, and also my website is melindawennermoyer.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, 
uh, you've added to me today, and I'm sure there are parents out there, and and as I said, for the aunts and uncles and and related people who are who are actually a part of the family that are raising children. Um, uh, it's not just the parents; it's there's there's the community. So uh, uh, again, I recommend you pick this up and uh, for some real good strategies and advice on how to contribute to raising a well-balanced and thoughtful, compassionate um, human being. So Melinda, thank you so much. Keep up the work that you're doing. Gonna be watching and uh, looking for your next installment. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So thank you so much. I know I see you're in Coal Harbor, is it? Um, um, not Cold Spring Harbor, but oh, just Cold Spring. There's two of them and they're, okay, okay. it's up in the Hudson Valley. Oh, yeah. excellent. Thank you. Well, yeah. um, uh, if we ever cross paths in the city, um, I look forward to it. Uh, but until that time, go well, stay well. Thank you so much, Brian. You too.